0: Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferrets, and this is episode number 73. Great interview coming up today. I sat down with the founder of LabelCoin.io, Mark Miller. We chat about creating a blockchain-based music investment platform, the importance of marketing for musicians, the difference between an amateur and a professional, and what one of the biggest things holding artists back is. Now, before we do all that, though, I wanted to do a short, sweet ramble about excuses, procrastination, and avoidance. Picture this scenario. It's 7 a.m., and you know you should go to the gym. But you've got an important meeting at 10 on the other side of town, so you should probably get ready, clear your mind to focus, and leave early to get there, right? That's an excuse. So you tell yourself that you'll go to the gym later instead. That's procrastination. And then later rolls around, you're working on a project and you're, quote, in the zone. So you just decide to skip it that day. And that is another excuse. You'll basically convince yourself of anything to avoid going to the gym, right? There was plenty of time to go at 7 a.m., even if it was just for a short one. You just didn't want to. And so you started the excuse train. Now, that might not be the best example in the world, but I think we can all relate to it because I'm pretty sure there isn't a person alive that hasn't paid monthly for a gym membership and avoided going with every ounce of their being. So moving on from our example and into the meat of this one. Excuses are invented by feelings you're trying to avoid. Rejection, failure, loss, regret, pain... These are all things we are all trying to avoid. I mean, who wants to run headfirst into any of that stuff, right? Well, here's the kicker. If you weren't avoiding those things, you'd probably be a little bit unstoppable. Imagine your life if you didn't have decision paralysis because of fear of one type or another. And now I'm not talking about stuff like jumping off a bridge without a bungee cord. We all know how that pans out, and that should actually be avoided. I'm talking about the 99% of the time that you're avoiding something that is only made up in your mind. Outcomes that you're imagining, but that you won't know are correct or incorrect if you don't try. So here's some excuse avoidance combos. Maybe you can relate to some of them. Excuse, when I market my music, it never makes a difference. Avoidance, fear of failure. If you don't put proper effort into your release, you can always blame lack of success on the wrong release plan. Excuse, the mix just isn't right yet. Avoidance, fear of not pleasing a client or your audience. Maybe you're lacking confidence in your work and you think that people won't like it, so you're procrastinating delivering it. Excuse, I just don't wanna bother them. Avoidance, rejection by a stranger. Not every person you try to network or collaborate with is gonna wanna work with you. Get over it and get out there and meet some people. Excuse, I can't afford an assistant. Avoidance, loss of control. You've got the micromanagement disease that most all of us in the music industry have, so deal with it. You do the same thing with procrastination. You're procrastinating something to avoid something else. So there it is. Short and to the point. Maybe it's a bit of a gut punch for some people. Maybe it's old news for others. But just please stop avoiding things that aren't real. No more excuses. No more procrastination. Next time you're making an excuse, ask yourself, where is this coming from and what am I avoiding? Today's guest is musician and entrepreneur Mark Miller. Mark is a co-founder as well as the CEO of LabelCoin, a revolutionary web 3.0-based song exchange that allows fans to invest in the next big song. Mark and his team are working to usher in a new era for the music industry in which artists' future revenues are brought forward to the present day with the ultimate goal of stamping out artistic poverty. So, not a bad cause. And prior to his work with LabelCoin, Mark spent a decade as a touring recording artist before starting several businesses designed to help artists build their careers, including a national booking agency and a video and photography production company. So, lots to get into. Welcome to the show, Mark Miller. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, Travis. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? I'm doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we're doing well, even though we just restarted this, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's good. I wanted to say, stamping out artistic poverty, I mean, those, those are big goals. I, I like it. I'm guessing maybe you had a taste of that back in your, like, musician days? Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I think we we're still <laughs> kind of a more
1: fortunate uh, avenue, but it, for me, it started out as an indie artist coming out of college. I had no idea what I was doing. I started playing, like, small venues and house shows and, you know, moved back with my parents and kind of barely survived working at a studio (laughs) part-time. Oh, nice. And then on on our honeymoon, my wife told me she wanted to quit her job and join me in music full-time. Okay. So I said, okay, yeah, that's great. And we need a new business plan (laughs) because there's no (laughs) way we're raising our family on this right now. So we did, we learned, we figured out a a way through the college market especially. And we were able to get our income up to where it was $120,000 a year by like our, our 10th year of the career. Wow. But, you know, that was 10 years in. And when you consider that like $40,000 of that was expenses and then split that between my wife and I, that's really $40,000 a year full-time. And literally at that point, Travis, we're in the top 2% of our industry. Is that statistically where that lands? That is. So 98% wow. of people, uh, it's estimated right now who have musician on their income tax forms actually earn below the federal minimum wage for
0: their music. That I would believe, and it, it's stressful and sad to think about. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I, I'm hoping we can change that, and that's what we believe we're doing. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, we could do a podcast all in itself about how you were pulling in 120 playing college shows, but um, that that we, somebody else can do that on another show. But um, so, what was the beginning of Label Coin? Like, how'd you go from musician to, I mean, I guess like kind of tech entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, Travis, but I feel feel like there's so many things that, that happen that seem segmented, like they don't relate at all, you know? And then when you kind of look back over the past 15 years, you're like, wow, every single one of those things plays into what I'm doing right now. And I don't know if I'd be able to succeed without each of those experiences. And so for me, it was like in 2016, it was right after we had moved to Nashville, my wife and I got pregnant with our second child and ended up getting off the road and starting to help other people do what we did. Who had much higher ceilings. So we started an artist agency and, and repped a lot of people off of like American Idol and The Voice and people with larger followings. Nice. And realizing they had some of the same challenges. So we, we got to do that for, you know, really almost the last seven years we've had that agency, uh, which has been really exciting. And seeing that they had those same challenges, it's always been on the radar. How do we help make life better for them? And so I, I love building. I love solving problems and I love being in the background. So it's kind of funny (laughs) that now I'm like, have to be like the personality out front of of what we're doing, which is a new experience for me. I haven't really experienced since being on the stage a long time ago, (laughs) but that led me to meeting my co-founder of LabelCoin, Chad Peterson. And Chad was a former Wall Street investment banker and VC investor. And so he was there during the giant 2008 Wall Street crash where, you know, so many people were absolutely devastated, you know, lives are crushed. Savings were lost, and he lost his job along with so many others during that period. And so he actually started a nonprofit called Wall Street Exodus and uh, to help people pick their lives back up. And a uh, really, really cool story, amazing stuff, but I'll skip forward to he ended up moving to Nashville <laughs> and uh, was here during COVID or in Nashville during COVID. And at that point, he's like, man, this looks a whole lot like Wall Street 2008. And he's like, I don't know a whole lot about the music industry, but I know they need help. Because I I felt that, you know? And so he started a nonprofit called Hope 20. And we were introduced through a mutual friend at that point as we were kind of helping out with other ways to help musicians get through COVID and come out stronger on the other end. And so Chad had been working on this idea of securitizing music. And like, what would it look like? You know, this idea that he got during COVID. Like, if, if we actually look at the future earnings of an artist and somehow quantify that and then bring those forward, and let people invest in it at this point? Basically securitizing music. You know, could that change things for the artists? And so when he presented that idea to me, I'm like, oh dude, there's a lot there, this is brilliant. And I asked him if he'd ever considered bringing blockchain technology into that because I've been getting really deep into that space and also really focusing in on on songs specifically. And so that's when Labelcoin was born. Last year, uh, we jumped in,
0: partnered, brought on a third co-founder and, and uh, it's been going full speed ever since. That's super cool. You know what it reminds me of is, I hate to compare things to things, but it's very similar. Masterworks. Have you encountered Masterworks? It's like a art-based, basically SEC-backed IPOs of artwork. And then there's a private market similar to Labelcoin. But actually, I guess I might be, we should probably talk more about Labelcoin before people get confused on what I'm talking about. What's your one-liner description of Labelcoin to the (laughs) person that doesn't know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Simply, we call it the Hood for music. Oh, I
1: love it. So basically, making songs investable to the average fan.
0: Perfect. That sums it up.
1: Yeah. It's as simple as a phone app, you know, on your iPhone or Android, or logging on your computer and being able to see a marketplace of songs that you can
0: invest in. Very cool. Okay, then if I'm an artist, what does Labelcoin look like for me? Like, what? why am I coming on board and kind of how am I navigating the platform what exactly is that journey like
1: yeah for sure i mean for starters of why right it's really challenging the reason why most musicians stop making music is because they're not earning enough money for and they just get tired you know it's five six seven years down the road and they're like oh shoot we're still not able to buy a house yet or still scraping by still doing three jobs and they just get tired and they're like i'm just going back to desk job and stability right, right? <laughs> it's it's the yeah, big challenge you tough, know and so tough. you have to either have tenacity massive business and marketing skills or just be lucky to really be able to continue on and so what we're offering artists is a way to earn you know essentially 10 years of income today and be able to create consistency the way this works song catalogs are currently being sold right so like people like Bruce Springsteen Bob Dylan you know but it's being sold with a lot of history and to institutional investors so that's really like the wealthier companies that have pooled a bunch of money together and like, hey, we're going to buy this catalog. We're going to help this catalog succeed and go forward. In a nutshell, the way that those are valued is they look at approximately the past three years of how much did this catalog earn on average per year, the last three years. And then they extrapolate it out over, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 years, depending on the artist. And then they say that's the value of this catalog. So what we've done, of course, there's a lot more factors and we're trying to do it with artists from your smaller, newer indie artists all the way up to those major label artists. So what we've done to create this song valuation is look at 10 years into the future. And we take not just um, the discounted cash flow models, you know, from Wall Street that Chad knows so well. And that's being used in these song catalogs. We're taking that and we're also putting in other elements such as, you know, of course, the, the past history of the songs, their other songs. Uh, we're looking at their tour history, their upcoming tours. We're looking at their past projects, current projects, teams, people they're working with, all those factors. And then we also have a song discovery mode that helps us be able to rank songs by fans, anonymously uh, to know if it's even a good song, if it's going to have a hit value, et cetera. That's another multiplier. So we take all those things, put them together, and we say, okay, artist, here's a range of how much we think your song is worth right now for the next like 10 years. And then you actually get to choose as the artist what you're going to list that song for, like how
0: much you're going to sell it for. Does it have to be within that range? It does not. No. Cuz I
1: mean, it's still like it's an algorithm and you know, it's like fantasy football numbers, right? Like the way I've been explaining this is, you know, like as a as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I'm like we all think that Patrick Mahomes is going to get four touchdowns next Sunday, but he might get six, he might get two, he might get, you know, get pulled, and <laughs> who knows what's gonna happen. I mean, I don't think Patrick's gonna get pulled, but it's it's just a guess. But we have a confidence factor that says this is how much data went into this, so that the both the fan and the artist can see okay, this is how much went into this number here. And then the the, the fan is gonna see one other really important number, and that's approximately how many spins would it take for this song to get, say, a 10% APR you know or a 20% APR or whatever they want to get as a regular return from royalties every year. Right. So I for people I guess listening that that might not know, every time you listen to a song on Spotify or Apple Music, the artist gets paid. And so what we're doing is allowing the artist to sell that. So now when whenever someone listens to that song on Spotify, the fan gets paid. And so you're earning that as kind of a dividend that comes through. And then you're able to, within the app as well to also resell that song which then every time it's resold, there's a small transaction fee and the artist gets another piece of that. So they
0: continue to earn even after they originally sold their works. That's super cool. I'm a bit of a finance business geek. So the the whole concept, I really enjoy it. So I love it. What happens if you're a newer artist and whatever you value your note at, I don't know, to say $10? What happens if 10 years from now that valuation isn't met or you're not an artist anymore? Like, are they obligated to buy their note back? Or is, I mean, there's risk involved for the investor side. Is it just, you lose on that one for the investor? Yeah, I mean, there
1: definitely is risk. And that's with any investment, you know, and any speculation, anything you're doing. But right now, it, the risk is 100%, right? Because people are just giving to artists out the kindness of their hearts through Kickstarter or Patreon. <laughs> and they're, they're getting nothing except for maybe a t-shirt. That's true. That's true. Or a house show that will... Probably not happen. And so that's kind of like where they sit now. And so we're actually offering a way to to get a good return, but we're trying to, as much as possible, give realistic expectations. And that's why we have like the confidence meter, the risk meter that shows like, okay, hey, how risky is this? And how much history is there? And then being able to let the fans say, yeah, I think this song can get 100,000 spins this year or a million spins or whatever it would take to get their expected return. Right. But there always is that risk, right? You know, an artist can decide they don't want to tour or create anymore. Something could happen or they they have a baby get off the road. You know, there's there's lots of things that can happen for sure. But we know that by creating more consistent income, that more and more artists are going to be able to have, be creating music well into their later years. And that's what our our hope is. Yeah. But we created um, other mechanisms to help make it better investments. So we have a feature called Curated Collections which essentially are song mutual funds. So (laughs) you can put your 10 bucks into one song or you can put it into a hundred songs, you know? And it's more likely one of those is going to hit, you know? (laughs) Or two or 10, (laughs) you know?
0: So, yeah. That's very cool. And a lot of my listeners are producers and artists slash producers, a lot of people in that vein. Is there a world where an artist can allow, you know, engineers, mixers, producers, into share with this? Like, I know artists are capped at like 50%, like they can only place 50% of a song on Labelcoin. Can they give like 5% to a producer? Or is that, would that fit into your model anywhere where it kind of like almost starts to replace points if this was working? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So we actually put in the features to where artists can give notes or assign notes to certain people, like producers. Oh, very cool. Which is great because then producers aren't having to hunt down. Artists to get their money, uh you know. I think a lot of producers will probably tell you, and you, you might experience this too, uh that it, it can be hard to, to get those that you're owed, and for a various amount of reasons. Not even saying that artists are being unethical necessarily, or just they're not good at it, or they're busy.
0: It's hard to track. I mean, you can't yeah. like if you're an artist, you've got money coming from so many places, mm-hmm. and it's coming so delayed. You're talking about like potentially yeah. nine plus months on like publishing money and you know you're kind of at the whim when it comes to the dsps of when you're going to get your money so if you're a producer and you're like how many times when i going to call this person for like 20 bucks now you're going to call them plenty of times for a hundred thousand dollars but for 20 bucks you just forget it
1: <laughs> yeah for sure and we are we are working out still like how to make the right layer responsibility because for example if the labels own a label might own the masters or it could be the artist, or you know there might be 10 points to the producer there could be various people that own parts of that song right and we never want there at least in the current stage to be more than half of it being sold and the reason why we we do that is we want there to be incentive for that song to continue to be pushed forward right Mm, yeah we never want them to be like okay i made all my money okay great now (laughs) now nothing Um, So that's why we cap it there. So we're trying to figure out, like, okay, what's the right spot for, you know, who's putting the song up first? If multiple people want to put it up right now, how do we do that, set that value correctly? And so we've got some, I think, some good solutions coming, but it is a piece we're still ironing out some of the final details on. This is just master ownership, right? Or is there publishing involved? Um, Currently, it's only the the masters. And specifically, we're selling the, the digital streaming royalties, like the profit shares. So that ah, people okay. still technically remain retain your master's so you don't have to to ask every single investor, hey, I want to put this
0: song on this TV show and get it synced. Can you please sign this paper? That was going to be my question. Is how do <laughs> you handle a sync or, or something like that if you got to go to like a thousand people? it would be a nightmare. Yeah. Okay, so if I sign up for Labelcoin, I still own my master's. I still own my publishing. And basically, yeah. Labelcoin is collecting the streaming royalties and distributing them back to the artist for their percentage and then out to the investors for their percentage. That, that's how it works. So we actually, we tie in with the distributor,
1: you know, such as CD Baby or DistroKid, yeah. people like that to where, so if the artist wants to sell 10% of their digital streaming royalties, then we would get a 10% split from the distributor. And so so basically the other 90% continues going back to where it belongs. We only get that 10% directly, but we never have to invoice the artist for it. And then we do, we pay it out to all the songholders on their behalf.
0: Got it. Okay, that's cool. Very interesting. I love this. There was something that I saw on the website that I thought was cool that I feel like we should tell people about. You have a feature, I guess we'll call it a feature called the Artist Launch Program. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, We're trying to think really holistically, how do we like move everybody going forward? And one of the big pieces, like there's a lot of great music out there where people just don't have a fan base yet, or they don't have necessarily maybe the business acumen to get it out but they are creating amazing music. True. And so we want to put basically a set percentage of what we make. We invest into those songs, songs that have been on the market for at least three days, you know, so they haven't been, we want to give fans a chance to buy first. So if if it's sitting on the market for at least a few days, it's not sold out and we're like, Hey, this is a great song. We want to invest into those songs. And then what happens is we automatically divest our shares when the song hits certain values. So, you know, if we buy in it at $10 and then, When it hits 11, we sell a certain amount, 12, a certain amount, et cetera, uh, until we're fully out of our shares. And so it allows, um, it gives money basically sewn into uh, new artists that are fantastic and deserve to be heard.
0: Yeah. And it allows us to make that money back to reinvest and continue to grow. That's cool. So is it open to all artists right now or is it in a beta? What's the status of Mm. Libcoin?
1: Yeah, we're still in development mode. We've been developing about a year now. And we're hoping to release by the end of this year or early Q1 of 2023. Cool. And so, yeah, that's where we're at now. But we are signing artists to basically letters of intent to release right now. And just basically, the artists are saying, "Hey, we're going to release on this as long as we end up loving the final product and it's good for us and our fans." But they're also been helping us with features and with feedback on them and tweaks. We're trying to find every single hole or possible, you know, speed bump <laughs> in that roadmap that we right, can. Right. Right. Yeah, and fix yeah. it up front. So that's been
0: really great, and so that's available right now for artists to join. Cool. So then there's no actual like uh, functioning marketplace. It's all, uh, I guess, it would be like testing ground sandbox for everything, right? Currently,
1: correct. But they will the, the early artists will be getting the beta access first, as you mentioned with uh, Masterworks. We do put our our songs to the SEC, so we use something called Reggae Plus which I think is probably what Masterworks uses as well, would be my guess. Okay. And it allows what's called unaccredited investors. So, you know, people like like me who make less than $250,000 a year and, and have less than a million dollars in the net worth um, can actually invest into, you know, these products and these securities because that's what they are. Uh, and it allows us to do that legally with everyone protected and not to get a massive fine down the road or get shut down. Right. So we feel like when we're
0: dealing with people's long-term futures, it's really important to do things the right way. So yeah. if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. That's awesome. So, okay, I've got a couple questions more on the, I don't want to say skeptical side, but I have a couple questions the status of like crypto and blockchain is that of concern to you guys because your web 3.0 and blockchain based. That's a great question. We get asked that a lot right now. Right, it's a gnarly time. If you yeah, own uh, yeah. Bitcoin, you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is, is no. Uh, it's, is okay. that, uh,
1: yeah, thankfully, on our team is rewired. They're blockchain consultants. Absolutely fantastic. Okay. And really conservative. Really helped us see like, okay, this is where it could go. They've been in the world a long time. And building government blockchains, building private blockchains, public blockchains, working in the music, you know, DAO space with Emanate and Moda DAO. And so they they're like, hey, you know, I, I know that you want to do a token that that's gonna be like, you know, rising because you can easily raise money that way through an ICO or be able to have that as an investable asset, basically. Uh, that can rise, but then you know, it can also crash too. And so let's try to figure out a way to take that volatility out. So they, they address <laughs> that with us upfront. And I'm oh, so glad they nice. did. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, you guys are really smart. So, so the way we've done it, because right now there are a few people that are trying to sell royalties through NFTs. Right. And the way that generally those are sold and valued at ETH, right? So when ETH is high, that means that the song is valued high. And the artist is making more money. It's more expensive for the fan. When ETH drops down like where it is now, then that means all of a sudden this song just crashed in value, which is a great buy for a fan. And it's not so great for an artist. They might have thought they were going to make 10,000 off of it. And now they made five, you know? Uh, and so that's that volatility, which if we did do it that way, it would be pretty frustrating right now. It'd be really challenging. Right. So we structured it differently to so where we're not selling the, the royalties as NFTs. Everything's done on smart contracts, all the transactions, all the royalty payouts so it's all clean that way. And we are set up and building a foundation to where we can have an NFT marketplace that's aggregated next year and some other elements, but not on the royalty side. So for the royalties, basically for every $10 worth of of song shares that's being listed, we we basically issue a note or just and all that note is is saying this is the the amount of song that this person owns. Right. <laughs> and so they can have point to those notes, you know, like Satoshi's, you know, stacking those sats or stacking those notes. But what it does is then every note is, you know, the same value at that time. And it's also valued based upon the current USD marketplace. And, and really the value comes from the royalties coming in and what fans are willing to pay. Right. So whatever country they're buying in, it's their fiat currency. And so we're not subject to the same volatility.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I never thought about it. If you're, if you're attached to to ETH or something like that, then you are, you're almost to a certain extent removing the value of the song, corresponding with the value of the, the NFT or the note or whatever. And it, so yeah, so now it really is based on the quality of the artist and the music they're putting out as opposed to Discord ETH hype of the month. So that's cool. I, I like that. Um, another question. When I think of investment in, like, big business, I never really see, like, musicians standing in line. <laughs> Do you think that the the potential upside for an artist just vastly outweighs their fear of, quote, selling out or something to the man, or however you want to describe it? Yeah, I mean, that's a great <laughs> question, all right, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean this is kind of a, a, It's So weird. I mean I don't I don't mean it to be loaded or anything <laughs> but like the, I know a lot of musicians that are like I hate Amazon, I hate business and then I think of like investment, <laughs> stock market, I think business and then it just goes circular like that. So I'm just curious what you think.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great question. It, I I'll probably go on a quick sidebar here. It just like I think that <laughs> holds it. musicians back a lot. Like one of my greatest regrets as an artist was not uh, letting more people get involved in my music sooner. You know, I wanted to be the one that wrote every line. I wanted to be the one that controlled every direction where it was going. And it got so much better when I started co-writing. When I started letting other people into my process and stopped trying to control everything. You know, our last album we did with a producer in, uh, in Nashville, named I mean Mitch Dane. You know, he's won a Grammy and he's he's fantastic, An incredible producer, incredible songwriter. And, you know, we went in there, my wife and I, with 12 songs that we loved. And we're like, oh, these are these are great. They're perfect, they're done. And pre-production, the week of pre-production, I think Mitch changed 10 of those songs with us, like the lyrics or the melody or something that, or the harmony, the chord structure underneath that legitimately made it better. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, holy cow, like I thought it was great, but now it's even better. I, I love where this went. That wouldn't have happened without welcoming people into that process. Now, that said, you do need to know as an artist, What's important to me and who am I and what am I not willing to give away or to trade or to, to sacrifice to somebody else and let them come over? You know, because there, there was like one line and out of only one, which is amazing, out of all those songs that Mitch liked this suggestion and I kind of deferred to it. And I'm like, man, I didn't like the way that that switched that. I really wish would I would have kept that because that's really what I meant to say. But only one. <laughs> and, and so that's the other, the other part is knowing when to stand up for yourself, right? And so it is that balance. And so, you know, I don't think that most, most businesses aren't out there to crush the little guy. You know, I don't think Spotify is out there to crush the little guy. Like I believe their mission is sincere, you know, which is to have a million creators and making a living from their music, which I think is an amazing mission and one that, you know, I hope we get a partner in, but you do have to be wise with that. Yeah. But what we're doing ultimately with Labelcoin is we're, we're giving artists freedom, you know, to where I still think there's great value in labels. Because a lot of artists don't have those teams of people that are incredibly talented or those relationships or doors, or else they don't have the time to build that network. And so, you know, signing with a label can be a great thing. But what happens if you actually come to that label with a whole lot more leverage? Like, hey, I'm already making all this money here from my songs on this. Or it's like, hey, I'm, I'm great at running a business or I have people that can. So, now I can use this money I'm earning on Labelcoin and actually invest it into my team and become my own label more easily. So it just gives them more freedom to and more control over their career and more leverage to get better deals and to to do what's actually right for them versus having to go where the money is
0: no, I, I agree with that completely. And I definitely agree that musicians are just to a detriment, slow to embrace, you know, any type of business, especially when you talk about giving something up. They're always super skeptical, but I, I like to try to remind people it's like, well, you're signing a publishing deal. They're gonna take 50% of your publishing, but they're gonna give you something in return for that. You're gonna have connections, you're gonna get set up with co writes You just make sure what you're giving up is gonna be worth what you're getting back. But so many people they go through a chunk of their career like, no, I have to own everything. I will not give this up. I will not give this up. And yeah, I think you hit some walls that way. You have to pick the right partners, but I like to give musicians a hard time about their business sense on this show. I don't know, maybe <laughs> they hate me for it, but you mentioned Spotify. I saw that they said they're open to switching to a kind of like listener-driven payout model, right? Are you familiar with that statement they made? Where like, instead of- You're actually ahead of me, Travis. I I missed it. I haven't heard that yet. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, fill me in. (laughs) Well, okay, so they said they're open to it. They they didn't say they're going to do it, but, you know, it might be like a PR thing. But basically, they're willing to switch to a model that like, if I only listen to my band and Katy Perry with my Spotify subscription, then my money- or the share of my money that's going to pass through is only going to go to Katy Perry and myself. Which totally makes sense. Which is the way it should be, but... Yeah, absolutely. uh, So (laughs) I will see if they actually do that. I was just like, I don't know where I saw that. Maybe Music Business Weekly or something like that. But um, I feel like that would be a big benefit to something like LabelCoin or to anybody that's like bringing partners in and giving ownership away because you're going to get a higher payout.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And
0: especially for the
1: the fans actually get to control where their money's going and where they're voting in yeah. a, a new way. Because, I mean, if I'm only listening to indie singer-songwriters and my, you know, 15 bucks a month for my family plan on Spotify, you know, that 70% of that's going just to my songwriters that listen to, I mean, that would make a significant difference. I would be all about that.
0: Oh, yeah. It makes you feel like you're buying CDs again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it would really help those smaller artists that have fans that actually love their music. So, go Spotify. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. It was probably just a... uh want to look nice PR statement for the month, but um, we'll hope for the best. Yeah. We'll hope for the best, right? Um, I don't kind of wander away from label coin and we can touch back to it whenever it makes sense. You have a brave enough agency and brave enough production company where you're working with artists on the booking side and on kind of the branding marketing side as well. Do you have any tips that you've picked up over the years that can help a newer artist kind of break through, maybe book a tour, just any general help for people?
1: Oh man, there's, So much. I love this topic. This is one of my favorite things to do, actually, which is why it all started. Because it is, it's really, because we had to figure out things, mostly the hard way. And then we started getting more and more people in our life that were like, oh, I can learn from this and learn this. And it's like, wow, there's such a wealth of knowledge if you know where to find it. Right? Yeah. One quick thing that I wish I would have learned way sooner in my career that would have helped me be able to set up for the rest, because quality is what matters, right? You have to be putting out good music to start with. True. Leading up to my first five years, I was really not that great of a singer and I didn't practice near enough. I would just write new stuff all the time and try to figure out the next new lick, but I wouldn't keep practicing and it wasn't consistent. And I'd be pitchy sometimes and it wasn't really, it was not great. It was not great. And then I met my wife, who uh, she's uh, an Enneagram one, if you know the Enneagram, which is a uh, perfectionist. A little bit. Yeah. you know, yeah. And, and uh, and she's like, that person's like, every note must be right. And like, we are going to crush this. And we're going to, you know, this is going to be, if if we're not going to do the best we possibly can, why do it at all? And there's something that I learned with her, which was, um, and I wish I would have gotten this at the first start of my career. And I said, an amateur practices until they get it right, but a professional practices until they can't get it wrong. I love that. It's good. Yeah. And so, I mean... Now that's what I tell every artist, you know especially like leading into big moments or into your shows, into showcases, into these things like you practice until the muscle memory is there. Yeah. because what's, what happens when you know someone in the crowd is, is making a big disturbance or you know you see somebody turn and walk away who you've just been singing to and, and your mind starts to wonder or you know you kick over something on your stand and something falls out. people get flustered in those moments, right? Yeah. And so you need to have the muscle memory there. So even if your brain is thinking about something else, Your muscles know what notes to sing, what words to say, and you just keep going. And that's what professionals do. So I think, you know, starting there, working hard, showing up to work every day, you know, the the best musicians that are the most successful, quote unquote, (laughs) that I know are not necessarily the most talented. They're the ones that show up to work every day. They just keep working. I will fully agree with that. (laughs) So, and then they become it, right? They gain that. And there's a lot of talented people that quit because... They don't. They think that the stuff's going to be handed to them, and that's not the case. Yeah. But like, as you're like going back to kind of like what things are like building your career, getting that forward, you know, you definitely need to to look the part. Like, I remember another thing that my wife brought out of us is she made us start recording every show with video. So that we would watch it later, not to share with people, so that we could like watch it back and be like, okay, what did we do well? What could be improved? (laughs) How do we make this better? Oh damn! Oh man, tell me, I I hated that to begin with, and now I really value it. It was, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. That's amazing. But what I realized, you know, is like, wow, if I was just walking by this show, there's nothing about that stage or the people on it that would make me stop. And actually want to watch. If I couldn't hear anything, but I'm just seeing the visuals, nothing would make me stop. And it made us like, okay, we need to actually really think through like what we wear, our actions on stage, what's on our stage, and how that looks visually. Like if we can, if you set that up with excellence from the start, then people are going to expect excellence, and they're going to be drawn to it. Like, oh, there's something that's special that's happening here. So, looking at all those different elements, and that carries through to your set, like practicing. I remember uh, one of my friends, Andrea Hamilton, I did some shows with, and I was always so impressed because everything she said on stage was always so good, and it was like so gripping and and funny and like brilliant and and thought provoking. And I'm like, I'm like, Andrea, how do you do it? Like, it seems it's like you're just such a natural talker on stage. And she's like, Oh, actually, I write everything out in advance and I practice it. I know exactly what I'm going to say. And i have my story set up but you can never tell because she's like rehearsed it so many times and and it comes off so naturally but like knowing what are my moments that i'm creating and then treating these moments giving them to fans as a gift and be like hey i see you in this in the stage i'm going to tell you this story you know i'm going to give you this line of this song and this and so it comes off effortless because it's practiced because it's prepared and that's what most people don't realize is that what looks effortless is many, many hours of
0: rehearsal and <laughs> preparation. That's really good. Well, there was so many things in there that, that I agree with. There is something to, being the best isn't enough. Mm. It's gotta be the, the presentation, the work. You know, you can't just be the best guitar player in the country and be playing your local coffee shop and expect to be the next Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's just not gonna happen. Like there is more to it than being the best. And so I just wanted to highlight that for people. Yeah,
1: and being the best isn't essential. You don't have to be the best. Exactly. Exactly. But you should be <laughs> solid. Like you should like not miss your notes or miss your beats, you know, lose tempo. But you don't have to be able to play guitar like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like these heroes that we see on stage all the time. Oh yeah.
0: It's amazing what you can do with four chords. It's true. <laughs> it's a good pop song. I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning. You were talking about how all of your career thus far, like, has given you all the pieces to basically be doing what you're doing now. And I just, I like to highlight for our listeners that things don't happen overnight and that, like, the road takes you down all these little tangents and these side journeys or whatever. And then ultimately, in the end, when you figure out what your big goal is, like, in your case, ending artistic poverty that's when all of a sudden all the dots connect. It's like you're just collecting experiences until you figure out how to execute on them all. Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) It's amazing how that happens. So something that I, I like to get into on this show whenever I can is how important it is to kind of, like I was saying, when you figure out your ultimate goal, to figure out where you want to end up and then work backwards and kind of find like what the actionable things you can do to take you there. Because a lot of people be like, I want to win Mm. a Grammy. And then they sit around and they put out records and they practice, but they never think about like how to put yourself in a position to actually win that Grammy. So for something like Labelcoin or any of your businesses, you've started multiple businesses and you've had a successful music career. Did you do stuff like that? Like, or did you, do you think of things from the end goal and then work your way backwards?
1: Yes. I love this topic. Because that's one of the biggest things. It's not just showing up to work every day. It's knowing what to work on, right?
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people get
1: stuck there. And a lot of people do stuff they shouldn't be doing, or they do it out of order. Mm. Yeah. So there's this book that I read during COVID, actually, that rocked my world. I got two chapters in. I made my whole team read it together over six weeks. And then I also did an artist... Group with it. I I took all our artists through. I'm like, anybody, any of the artists who want to come through this with me, I'm going to take it through for six weeks because I would literally pay five thousand dollars to go back to the start of my artist career and read this book first. (laughs) And so, oh wow! So it's called Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. Okay. And really quickly, I'll I'll give you the premise of this, what it's about, and and a nugget that I wish I would have known. He basically has you take all the different tasks of things that you have to do um, in your work. So like as an artist and all the things you're doing, write them down on a big giant list and then put them into four different quadrants. And the quadrants are passionate, not passionate, proficient, not proficient. And proficient is being defined not as can I do this, but would somebody pay me well to do this, right? Mm. And so if somebody would not pay you well to do this, you are not proficient. Okay, so just putting that, that out there, you know? Uh, there are a lot of people doing stuff that they think, I can do this. Like, I can design my website or do my merch designs. And it's like, no, you can't. I would not pay you to do that for me. Please, you need someone else to do that. And also, by the way, when you are accepting free help from friends, make sure that they're proficient at it, you know? Yeah. Bad help is True. not better than no help. That's right, <laughs> so, that's right. In that sense. So have a standard there. <laughs> so anyways, um, what the book has you do there, he says that 70% of your time should be spent in that passionate and proficient zone. He calls that the dream zone. And then the other zones are like distraction zone, which means I'm passionate, but I'm not proficient. (laughs) And then there's the disinterested zone, which means I can do this, I'm proficient, but I don't like it. And then there's the drudgery zone, which means I hate this and I suck at it. (laughs) And so he then takes you through three different techniques of what to do with stuff that's not in your dream zone. He teaches you how to eliminate tasks, how to automate tasks, and how to delegate tasks. And that last one was really, really key for me, especially to learn like, okay, how do you actually help be able to offload stuff to people and help them be able to do it well and execute to what you want? So kind of those tools were all super helpful for me, but it was really like learning the business, honestly, that the things that moved us forward the most, if I'm being completely honest, was marketing and branding. Yeah. And knowing how to do that well, learning how to do sales, um, how to brand our you know, our our marketing, how to do our email campaigns, <laughs> how to book shows, how to follow up, uh, how to be consistent. Yeah. As far as business skills, that's what advanced us the most. We were not the most talented acts in the college market, but we were some of the most booked.
0: Well,
1: there you go. And some of the most rebooked as well, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: nice. So you learn, yeah. I agree with that completely. I feel like, I don't know. What do you think it is about, like, a kid when they pick up a guitar, they sit down at a piano or start singing, where as soon as that happens, they won't go anywhere near learning about marketing or selling themselves. It's just like, I will play my instrument and then that's it.
1: It's <laughs> a great question. I think a lot of us are drawn towards, uh, towards music as a kind of a, a space to, to wrestle with what we're feeling. Or to express what we're feeling, or even to work through that, like you know, and 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 that's why music ends up helping people navigate those waves in life because it's like, oh, here's someone that's bearing their soul on how they got through this, or how they, or or what this experience was like for them. And so I think like a lot of times, musicians, and artists, we're we're kind of those types of people. <laughs> yeah, where we tend to be more introspective and we don't necessarily want to promote ourselves. And that's like, it's painful for us to be like, hey, come look at me, guys. We want other people to notice us. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to be said for letting other people be the ones that are you and not yourself. But you need to also be willing to ask. You know, there's also a lot to be said for you don't have it because you never ask for it. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I noticed, as, especially as a booking agent, you know, and, and with our agency is, you know, a lot of people that we signed, there are multiple people that we signed because they reached out to me three times. Because like, it wasn't that I was ignoring people, but we just get so many people asking to be signed and be on our roster. And we just get lost in all the work. Yeah. And so when somebody would like reach out to me like three times and it'd be gracious about it and I'd be like, hey, why have not you answered my email yet? But like, hey, I know you're really busy, <laughs> but I would really like love to have you listen to this video. And here's the ways that I think that we could benefit, you know, your agency and stuff like that. When they would like show that they see it and put more care into it, I'm like, oh, This is a person that works hard at what they do, and they're also emotionally mature. And so then those are the people that I actually went back and and listened to and set up
0: interviews with and ended up signing. So there's that piece as well. You're not the first person that has told me, I don't know if it was on the podcast or just in conversation, where they want someone to contact them like two or three times before they actually get back to them. They read all the emails, but they're like, well, we'll see how bad you want to work together or how bad you want this. I go, I go both ways on that. Yeah, it's just not intentional <laughs> for me. I don't do that intentionally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like playing hard again is lame. Like, I feel
1: like that's just a stupid yeah, yeah, yeah. Way, to, way to be as a person. And it's just, but it's also just like the truth of there's a lot to do. And it's like, and you can just forget even best intentions. Totally. But it, it does impress me when, when people are like consistent and follow up. It's like, okay, if they do this with this, then they do it with the rest of their life, right? Yeah. They do that with their shows. They do that with their preparation. Yeah. It tells me about who they are as an artist.
0: Yeah, once well, inadvertently, their name is becoming commonplace. If they email you like three times and your friend mentions them, all of a sudden you're like, "That person, I need to contact that person because they're just popping up everywhere around you." That's true. Which is marketing? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's
1: true. And sometimes yeah. it's like the timing is just not right yet, too. Yeah. Like I, you know, someone reaches out and they're just not at the spot they need to be. I'm like, hey, I'll usually try to like give some kind of response if there's if I see there's some growth. Like, hey, you know, I would need to see higher numbers here, or you know more experience on this side. Sometimes if I'll try to give them something constructive and then it's up to them. And then if I see them actually grow and tackle those things a year later, you know, those people that we've signed that way. It's like, oh, okay, you've gone to work and you've done that and exceeded it. Now you're ready, let's go.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was actually thinking about that the other day in a conversation I was having where the question of like, well, if this isn't gonna work now, like, what's the bar to make this work? You know, and I think that's something like you just mentioned that people need to be willing to ask yeah, and not be afraid. Like, I think a lot of people are defeated by the fact that like, it's not a yes. Mm. But maybe there's something more to that where you can be like, look, if you want me or any booking agent to be interested in you, you need to hit these metrics. And when you hit these metrics, then you can come back to me. You can come back to my competitors and you're going to be a more appealing signing at that point. So it's like actually helpful. Yeah. To find out that why you got rejected more than just to get frustrated and and swear that person off for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah.
1: And it's really humbling and really vulnerable to do that. But I feel like humility is always the best way forward. And ego is not your friend. That's right. With any of this. And so yeah. <laughs> even though it feels like you're really putting yourself out there, you know, it's like asking the same person out three times. I mean, it's just like, well, I'm just gonna get crushed again. And it's like Try not to take anything personally, but observe it. And share it with people that you trust and that are close to you and say, okay, is this accurate? Is what they're saying, what What part of this is true? What part of this is not? Because sometimes you're going to get advice and people say stuff that's just, they just missed it. They just don't know you at all and don't get it. But most of the time you can find really good nuggets of truth that are like, oh, you know, I could improve there. I should work on that or grow on that. Maybe I do need to change my priorities. Um, and if you're a person that can do that, that can take advice well and keep seeking it all through your career, even when you've, you know, hit it, quote unquote,
0: yeah, then, you know, the sky's the limit for you. True. If you can, yeah, take criticism properly and not get frustrated. Yeah, There's more to learn in your defeats, I think, than, you know, most people like to sit around and talk about like, this song was a hit and it's because we worked with this producer and we did it in this studio. It might be more valuable to wonder why your second album tanked than why your first album was so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah, you're not wrong, Travis. (laughs) Not wrong at all. So I've got a couple closing questions that I hit everybody with. I don't know. I think I may have sent them to you. If not, then you're going to hear them for the first time. So good luck. (laughs) Was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you?
1: Yeah. You know, there's been multiple times. lots of pivots. But I think one of the biggest things for me was not to live and die by numbers, specifically. Because then when you do get good numbers, you you get really excited. But when the next song doesn't do as well, you're just like crush. And it's just like this roller coaster of emotions. And like trying to figure out like, what is success? And for me, it was just knowing that I'm showing up and doing my best and doing what I've put on earth to do. That was success. And whatever came from that was what it would end up being. Yeah. But then, you know, it's another big pivot when I'm like, oh, I'm not an artist anymore. Now my success is not based upon, you know, having to put food on my table by playing shows and getting booked and having my songs get on charts or things like that. Now it's oh, I'm my success is helping other people succeed, which I find more fulfilling anyways for me. That's how I'm wired. Um some people are made for that stage.
0: I don't need to be on the stage. I'm I'm with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll help you finish your record, but I don't need to go stand on the stage and play tambourine or anything. Uh so the final question that I that I have is uh obviously you have a a startup business so share what you can but what right now is your current biggest goal and what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it yeah i mean our biggest goal right now is is raising our next rounds that we need to fund everything that we're doing and
1: so we're doing lots and lots of investor meetings right now and finding out who's the right fits kind of mutual interviews yeah and getting that on board and then we're we're signing artists so so what looks like is saying yes to a lot of meetings and also asking for a lot of people hey like Let's talk about what your goals are and if our goals align and what we're doing.
0: Amazing. There's one other question that I, I wanted to ask you that maybe I'll leave here. Maybe I'll move earlier. I don't know. The show's always kind of tangents everywhere. What would your ideal vision for blockchain and Web 3.0 and music mixed together, like what would that be? Is it, is it have the potential to change everything for artists or is it going to be one of those things that you think only works for the people that are willing to navigate it kind of like anything is?
1: Great question. It's going to change everything for every artist. It might take, you know, 10 years before it's at that level. But I think that there's no doubt that that's the way that royalties are going to go, for example. Yeah, they should. And I think the black box is going to go away with the money and the way that goes that that whole world is going to shift drastically for the better. And so there's no doubt, even people that aren't aware that they're, you know, really involved in blockchain are going to be (laughs) using blockchain. But there's going to be tons of opportunities and it's going to stop being so niche. There's going to be more and more easier, easier onboarding, easier connections and ways to, to integrate that. It's going to become normal. It's like how none of us walk around without a cell phone anymore. And we all know how to, you know, make video calls and check our email on it and do all this stuff that 15 years ago, that was not a thing. Yeah. That's, that's where blockchain is going to be. It's just a matter of how fast we get there.
0: Yeah. I think it's exciting. And and I think, you know, coming from the royalties side of things, it's like it has to happen because it's just too difficult for anybody in the music business to want to do anything that pays you on the back. Like, unless unless you have a label deal and a manager and a team in place that knows where to get everything, you're just not getting it all, which sucks because yeah. there's so much opportunity for independent artists right now Mm -hmm. But there's so much work involved in getting the money that's coming from the increased opportunity. So it's like, it's really frustrating. So I I hope that sooner than later, blockchain kind of solves all these problems and who knows what happens after that. Yeah. But um, dude, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. It's kind of all over the place, but you know, that's that's how we party here. Anything you want to share with your audience, any of your businesses, just your moment to, uh, to just tell people where they can find Labelcoin and everything. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, I'd love to
1: connect with people for sure. So of course, like at Labelcoin is all of our handles everywhere. Um, you can find me on like on Twitter, uh, music ally mark or musically mark is, is my handle there. Love to connect. And I mean, there's a lot of people on our, kind of our network that help our, our passion is, you know, ending artistic poverty, but it's because we believe that music changes the world, that, that it is entertainment that shapes our culture. And so we love helping people to achieve that.
0: Amazing. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been great. Hopefully um, I will uh, know people using LabelCoin or maybe I'll be an investor on there next year. Who knows? We'll find out. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. This has been a lot of fun. Great talking with you. That's it for episode 73. Thanks to Mark Miller for coming on the show and sharing his story with us. Definitely check out LabelCoin.io. The tech geek in me thinks it looks pretty fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider supporting it by leaving a review, donating to our Patreon, or sharing it on socials or with friends. Also, thanks to Stephen Boyd for editing this episode as he does all the previous. And finally, please come join our community over at the Complete Producer Network. Link for that in the show notes. I will see y'all next time.